Good afternoon, fine listeners of the Run Your Mouth podcast, and I would like to invite you to another edition of the Sunday afternoon Run Your Mouth podcast. On this week's episode, we have none other than, I don't know what voice the fuck I'm doing. Steven, you guys remember Steven, our uh, enthusiastic, non-scientist, scientist, chief spreader of disinformation to the Run Your Mouth listeners. We've, uh, I started this podcast, uh, I don't know even how long ago. Anyone know how many episodes we've done? We might be coming up on a milestone. We might have just missed a milestone. We might have had an opportunity to get together and, uh, you know, eat some cookies together. Uh, maybe, you know what? Next big milestone, I'm throwing a big-ass cookie party, Andy Kaufman style. We're going to get some school buses. We're going to get a firehouse and hang out with the firemen and then feel like we've really been a bunch of contradictory individuals because we're, uh, you know, we're not that into the fire department. We love our liberty. We don't like our taxes. But if we are going to have fire departments, we might as well rent their firehouses, eat some cookies with them. I don't know. I, I feel like fire people probably eat cookies. They're doing a lot of squats. I was just trying to say, I have the chief spreader of run your mouth disinformation doing a whole thing on our favorite topic of the coronavirus. And then I think that's going to conclude our coronavirus coverage because I feel like we did it. I feel like at this point, we've unearthed every angle. We fully disproved anything that was left. And uh, I started this podcast to try and convince my fans to be less healthy. That's uh, I didn't even have fans at the time, but I said, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to get disinformation out there. And I'm going to make sure to go against all the medical experts. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to Every single weekend, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read medical journals that I have no real interest in reading. I'm going to I'm going to crunch numbers. I don't know how to crunch. And then I'm just going to make uh, advisory statements that you shouldn't listen to your homo homeowner's doctor uh, because I just want to I just want to bring a little bit of death to the planet without actually being a serial killer. So. Uh, lucky for me, over this past year, as there was a uh, medical topic in the news, I was able to find my angle to really network with other individuals who are interested in spreading disinformation and contradicting the, the you know, the the bigger narrative. And Stephen might be uh, the best non-scientist I could find who could really put together a compelling story uh, for why you shouldn't take your health seriously or put, um, you know. Uh, healthy vaccines that are safe and effective, and you might need them after every six months or sooner. And we don't know if those, but that's that's the disinformation. I'm trying to just let you know what we were doing on this episode. So I got a whole episode of disinformation. Uh, but before we get into that, I, you know, I wanted some time alone with you guys. I wanted maybe an opportunity where you know we could hang out before Stephen comes on and then just starts going off with all the medical disinformation that might be dangerous to your health. And I don't want to just get right into things that you know could be bad for your health. I'm not looking to do that. I, I like to bring a little bit of joy with the podcast. So I figured I'd come in and do an introduction also because I got plugs. And if you just get right into your conversation and you don't do any of your plugs, then people don't know when your live dates are. And I got all sorts of good live dates coming at you because I'm putting together this end of year uh, spectacular. That's what I should have called it. I didn't I didn't throw the word spectacular in there. Uh, and I already had my graphics guy make up a pretty cool poster for it. But maybe I'll redo it so that people can know that it's spectacular. I don't want anyone expecting anything less than spectacular and free tickets for anybody who shows up like one of those Rockefeller dancers. What are they called? There's a if you come, especially if you're a dude, if you're an overweight dude, I'll even pay for your beers. If an overweight dude shows up in one of those red cha-cha dresses and and is and I, you can even come up on stage and just ruin the show and cha-cha the whole time. So I encourage all the fans, if you're coming out to one of these shows, the official uniform of the not yet titled Run Your Mouth End of Your Spectacular 
is whatever those uh, Christmassy Rockefeller dancers are. What are the Carolettes? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I should have looked that one up beforehand. I just didn't have an idea that stupid uh, until I turned on the microphone. And now I'm living by that idea. I might even get that outfit for myself for the end of year special, like John Fishman style from a fish show up in a dress. Maybe they'll make, maybe as cool as the, uh, the King of the Cock shirt has been courtesy of a uh, LVMPP, you know, Ludwig von Mises pieces, who's helping me out with the artwork. Maybe it's time to transition to a bright red dress. Anyways, I was just trying to plug some dates. Uh, so if you're in the if you're on the West Coast, you guys should come out to the Peddling Fiction. They got a whole weekend going on in Mexico. I will be hitting up a pharmacy and hopefully, you know, promising green cards to all sorts of women. That's my that's going to be my strategy. I'm gonna I'm gonna get uppers and downers. I'm gonna get sleeping pills. I'm gonna I'm I'm just I'm I'm just going into a pharmacy. I, I want to get myself like a a suitcase Hunter S. Thompson style. I'll call I'm gonna call it the Hunter S. Thompson weekend. Uh, and, uh, I don't know how many of these drugs I'm actually going to take. I'm just going to have a lot of fun purchasing them and like pretending like I was going to, that's mostly what I'm going to do. Cause I'm really not that cool of a person. Uh, and I, uh, am working pretty hard on this end of year thing. So I'm probably not going to party that hard, but I'm definitely going to a pharmacy, buying a lot of stuff and putting it into a briefcase. Uh, and then promising green cards, to all sorts of, uh, good looking women who may or may not be willing to sleep with me. I, uh, if, cause offering a green card adds like three inches of height and like nine inches to your dick. So that's going to be my strategy. I've never partied or been to South America. So I don't know if make, maybe you get, maybe you get green cards printed up before you even go down there. You just start giving them out with your number. Uh, you know, you let people know that you're in the market for buying someone from another country and bringing them home to be your wife. And, you know, it's understood they got to be with you for a couple of years and they can go their own way. Uh, it's all about leverage. Yeah, love doesn't exist. I'm here to I'm here to let you guys know uh, before I got into the covid misinformation that might keep some of you guys from uh, getting vaccines that would save your life. I just wanted to remind you that love does not exist. Uh, don't pretend like it does. Every interaction that you have with any individual, it comes down to leverage. And if you go down to third world countries and people that want to leave those countries, you've got you're, you've got better leverage. All of a sudden, you're like a rich dude. Like we all know that you know old rich dudes in our country, you know they can they can pick up uh, they can pick up some gorgeous looking women who are outside of their range based off of looks or other factors, but they got that wealth leverage. That's what green cards are when you go down to third world country. So if you're living on the West Coast, come join me and the Peddling Fiction Boys in uh, Mexico. I know a whole bunch of other Liberty podcasters are going to be down there. Uh, I think some of the guys from Lions of Liberty. I know Clint uh, will be down there from uh, uh, the Lock Pod. I don't even know who else is going to be down there. Uh, but like I said, uh, I'm going to be hitting up a pharmacy and partying pretty hard. So if you're West Coast, I will be running. Hopefully, that's going to be the first time I run my end of year thing. If you're East Coast, we've got New York City, Philadelphia, Maryland, uh, Chicago, Albany. One night already sold out in New Hampshire. Second night ticket still available. I'm going to link all of those into the episode description and uh, might even line up some more shows trying to basically do one show every weekend and pretending like I still work in comedy. All right. Just a couple quick topics uh, that I'll plug uh, while we're going. I mean, not plug. We just did the plugs. The plugs were 
where the dates and also your Kratom, your Delta, get your party supplies, except for Mexico, you won't have to because we're going right to the pharmacy. That's the first stop I'm making. Uh, but, you know, for all of the American gigs, uh, you know, you, where you can't just access a pharmacy, uh, get yourself some your Kratom, some your Delta. Here's the first topic I want to talk about is what they're calling the great resignation. Everyone, Everyone's like left their jobs. And it, what it comes down to is they're wondering why no one wants to go back to work. And it's because if you, you told everyone they were a hero for staying home and, you know, heroes don't flip burgers at McDonald's like you, you, you've you've told everyone how fantastic and amazing they are for not doing anything. And now they almost feel like they should be rewarded for having stayed home and done nothing. I think here's what I really think they did. I think like we grew up as kids. This is universal and it's something that's changed about the world. And it's weird to me that this has changed. But you talk to anyone who's around my age, 33 Black, white, Mexican, Jewish, Christian, doesn't matter. We had a shared cultural value of you. You don't you don't tattletale and you don't complain. Those were not like that. That was seen as like not cool. And just it was like a cultural value of that's just not how you deal with your problems. Like, don't whine. Don't go tattling on other people. Something changed in our culture where all of a sudden, if you want to get promoted, you better be you better be complaining to somebody about how somebody else is making more than you. Uh, you want it like that. It's just something has changed in our culture where it is not just acceptable to complain and whine. That's actually how you advance yourself, your careers or your uh, larger group, which you shouldn't be identifying with groups. We should all be individuals, but I can't solve everything in a single rant. So I'm just telling you that something changed in our lifetime where we went from uh, simple rules of, hey, don't be a tattletale which was great. I remember maybe the one, I actually don't remember the incident, but I know that this happened at some point as a kid, you tattled on someone and the adult basically told you don't like you were in trouble for tattling. That's the way it worked. It was not like, thanks for telling me. It was like, don't be a fucking tattletale. Don't be that person. Same with complaint. Like just don't whine, don't complain, go solve something like be bigger than that. That changed. Another thing that seemed to change, and uh, this was an odd thing about the coronavirus, and this is what happens when government steps in with uh, socialism and pretending like you don't work, you take away that cultural value of working. If the coronavirus came and they said, listen, this thing's bad, but we're America, we're America, like we're, we're fucking tough, and we're just going to keep working. If you're old, I guess you got to stay home, but the rest of us, we're showing up to work because that's what we do, right? We're not, we're not weak people. I get that this is a, a new problem, but you know how you solve problems, you, you keep going, you're strong, but the government didn't do that. Instead, they wanted to get rid of Trump so badly. They said, listen, like this thing's so terrible. Everybody has to stay home. And I don't think, I don't think we're getting that back that quickly. Once you send people home from work and you just establish, Hey, work is not that important. Like it's just, then that's like the new reality here. Now, at some point, are benefits going to run out or are other problems going to come around where people realize like, oh, I have to work and that kind of changes? Probably. I'm just saying that like we, we've created a new culture here where it's not necessarily looked down upon for not working and it's not like you're up shit's creek if you're not working. Uh, partly, I'm sure that some of that is that when you socialize medica- like medicine and so people aren't concerned with like, oh shit, I better work because if not, I'm not going to have uh, health insurance or other benefits, uh, you know, and then also when you uh, institute a border policy where millions of people that would love to work these jobs and employers would love to have people who would work these jobs, 
and then customers who would also like to go to those businesses and be able to just buy the food from the business or whatever other staffing, like, no wonder, no wonder you've got that situation. Uh, so I'm just pointing out that as the great resignation, uh, which is essentially everyone just being like, you know, what, I've had enough with work. By the way, I don't think that's the other, the only element. I think the other element is, uh, I remember once, and I, I've noticed this in my whole life, of uh, there's this thing called ego depletion, uh, which is essentially that I almost call it your your personal goodwill or your focus or just like your energy reserves for being able to be disciplined. It, there, there's a finite, it's like if you were playing a video game, there's a finite uh, like amount of it. So it's like if you sit down and you really bust your ass, uh, you know, working on something, like you've eaten away at some of your discipline. And that's not to say that you can't build that discipline or get stronger, but I'm just saying there's a finite, there's like a finite number there of how many times you could be approached with something that like you want to do and you say no to it or how much time you can sit down and just work on a project. I'm going to venture to guess that through the Corona, as we all were kind of bored with our lives. And by the way, a lot of the people listening to this uh, podcast, including myself, we did our best effort to just continue, just continue living and kudos to us. Uh, and that's why I bring you guys the disinformation that I do uh, to make sure that you're not staying home and being safe. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, but what the fuck was I talking about? I was trying to say that uh, I think for some people, as this was not the, the the funnest or greatest stretch of their lives, it probably ate away at some of their willingness to like show up to an office and just take some shit from an employer or people's just willingness to work. There's almost like, well, I want the vacation from having having the discipline to have like stayed home or like from the life I missed, there's like some sort of a thirst for making up what was lost. And I bet that's also kind of one of the factors that's playing into the great resignation. Um, on that note, like I said, we're, we're doing an intro. So I got some plugs in here. Sheath, you want to, you want the support you need to show up to work every day and have a smile. You got to get your sheath underwear. You use promo code RYM. You're going to get 20% off. That is the underwear that keeps everything cool and separated. So if you're one of the industrialist people who listen to the Run Your Mouth podcast, you say, I don't care what Fauci's telling me. I don't care what the mask policy is. I'm showing up to work. Uh, you know, you need something that's going to support your nuts and get you through that work day. And that's why you go to sheathunderwear.com, use promo code RYM, and you are going to get 20% off. Uh, on that note, I'd really like to, uh, and I, I, I'm trying to do this in the most uh, lazy way possible, as I am uh, working. <laughs> Sadly, I'm, I'm working a little bit too hard right now between uh, end of year project, trying to podcast, got a full-time day job, getting the stand-up gigs in. Uh, for a single guy who, uh, generally speaking, likes to be lazy, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not liking this groove. But, you know, uh, so if you're out there and you're good at organizing things, you got some free time on your hands or this is kind of your specialty, uh, I would love to raise some funds or put together the charitable fund for people that are quitting their jobs or being forced to be fired from the jobs because uh, they're not going to get vaccinated. I think that uh, we should do what we can to support those individuals. Uh, I don't know how to put together a fund or monitor who would be claiming the money from it. Uh, if somebody is interested in maybe organizing that with me, uh, I'd be happy to plug it on this show or the other podcast that I'm going on, or maybe even trying to organize uh, some live events to raise funds for it. I do think that's at, that that is an important cause for all of us. 
it is outside of my skill set to uh, put together some sort of a charitable thing or know how to uh, manage the claims in any form or fashion. I'm not looking that that is something that uh, I'd like to set up in a way where 100 percent of what comes in uh, can go to individuals uh, that, you know, that legitimately need it and are confronting the harsh reality of basically being forced out of their jobs uh, by government, uh, which brings me to uh, my last thing that I would like to talk about. And then I've got all the COVID disinformation coming at you from Stephen, uh, which is my my philosophy uh, on voting has been like, mostly make them earn your vote. Like most people, they just vote against a party. That's what they do. They vote against a party. And so I feel like they never really get representation. You're being a vote slut. You're just giving away your vote for nothing. Make them earn it. Make them do something that is actually of benefit to you. Uh, in my case, I'm not actually looking for particular goods or services from government. I'm looking for more freedom. I'm looking for the guy who's going to step up, say, I want to end the Fed. Or I'm looking for the guy that wants to, to just defend freedom of speech, wants to take on the tech companies. These are the kind of things that are of concern to me. And I bet they're of concern to you. Typically speaking, I've said, make them earn your vote. And also, I don't want to be a willing participant in this. I know that government does evil things. I don't want to have done anything to say that I'm okay with what they're doing. I don't want to support this. I'm a, uh, I'm an abstainer. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to even give them my vote. I don't want to, I don't want to have any responsibility for what the people we put in charge are doing to other people. That's not what I'm looking for. Uh, and I'm starting to somewhat change my viewpoint here where I almost think we need to start a movement of, and this is uh, absent of if uh, people that I know and are friends with choose to maybe run, in which case full support for that, because obviously, uh, but I almost think there might be some wisdom if we could create a political movement of like people that are just looking to vote against Joe Biden. I think that what the Democrats have done with these mandates and what they're trying to push with the new COVID system uh, we almost need to make it known, like there needs to be almost a contingency of people that go, we don't support Trump. We don't support the Republicans. We don't support, we just don't like these health mandates. We don't like what you've done here. And so we are voting against you. I don't care if it's fucking Santa Claus. I don't care if uh, Epstein comes back from, from child raping Island. The Israelis return him to us. I don't care if we vote for the fucking Queen of England. I don't, it doesn't fucking matter. It's just, we are, we are, we are ousting you from power. And who knows, maybe uh, my earlier idea to hang Fauci legally, of course, after um, it's outed for everything he did. And people are so outraged that uh, Ted Cruz and others get together and change the law, uh, that there is a quick and swift justice brought upon individuals who create massive amounts of harm to humanity, assuming that we can prove it. And that laws can be changed, that that can be done in a legally responsible way. So I'm, if that never comes to be, right, if we never get the political momentum and we never get the information out there, uh, which obviously is disinformation because I'm not interested in your health or well-being. But uh, putting that aside, unless we can actually get to a point where uh, we really kind of there is a massive outrage over everything that's happened and there's an unwinding of it. Uh, I think there would be some wisdom in a political movement of just like, fuck these people. Like, it's not about Trump. We do not support Trump. We don't like Trump. Quit pretending like, you know, this is some person that everybody likes. And I'm not saying that there aren't some Republicans out there that do like him. I do think that in this particular instance, there would be some value 
to basically just letting it like somehow putting it out there and letting it known like we are just voting against this particular thing. Like it is the core issue. Uh, and I'm not supporting government. I'm not supporting the spending. There's like literally nothing that some Republican can get up that I would be into. But it's this one thing we're just like, unless, you know, DeSantis gets up there and he goes, listen, I'm getting rid of the mandates because we need some more money to go to war. And then that does become a pickle. So I'm not saying I've completely thought through all the issues, but you know who has thought through all of the disinformation that they're going to tell you? Uh, it's my guest, Stephen, from uh, Lisa Cairo Banking. Uh, as I plug at the end of the episode, you can send him your sperm. He can freeze all sorts of shit. I mean, he's a super scientist. Whatever you need, you, 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 I don't I don't even really know what he does. But I do think you can freeze your sperm with him. Uh, and you can do all sorts of testing. Uh, he does some cool shit. And, uh, you know, he's the chief residential uh, misinformation COVID specialist. So support the feller. And then obviously, like I said, all the live dates in our fine sponsors, Sheath Underwear, use promo code ROAM, you're going to get 20% off. Yo Kratom and Yo Delta for those over the age of 21 who are just really cool people and they want to live really cool lives. Uh, okay, let's get into our full episode with Steven. What is up, everybody? Welcome to an afternoon edition of the Run Your Mouth podcast. We are uh, experimenting once alive with uh, going live to YouTube. And I'm hoping that we get through this conversation and my YouTube channel is not pulled down. I'm not going to leave this video up because I think that gives them time to... Uh, we're the underground now, man. They, they come and find us. Uh, the audio will, of course, go up because they haven't started censoring the internet at that level. But uh, Stephen, welcome back to the show. Third part in the series going to get the latest on Corona. So, uh, you know, thank you for joining me again. Uh, so to introduce, my pleasure, dude. always excited. Hell yeah. So to introduce first is I've been working my ass off on this end of year thing. I don't, uh, I don't normally even work that hard on things. So it's, uh, it's new to me and I'm a little bit behind on the Corona information. Uh, cause like for a while I was digging that every day, like just because I, I love finding out how people are lying to me. I love it. And so like I would literally read everything, try and figure out, but I, like I'm just not on top of it. Um, so to start out, I, I'd love to get the scoop on some of the most recent things that are going on. And then I know that we have uh, some specific topics of interest that everyone's going to enjoy. Uh, I think the biggest thing that's going on right now, which is it, it kind of interesting, is that um, government seems reluctant to advise on boosters. Um, so we know for Pfizer, they got, they got passed, but people seem to leave their jobs at the CDC over it or the FDA. Uh, now you've got like mixed guidance on Moderna uh, and Johnson & Johnson just got approval, but it's really just for a second dose. So I'll hand it back to you in terms of uh, what you think like is going on with the booster shots. I would... Um... First point, everyone, towards the most recent Joe Rogan podcast with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Particularly, skip the first hour, that was trash. But when they get into COVID, particularly, he brings up a study which goes to vaccine side effects of particularly younger males showing a drastic increase in myocarditis, a fancy word for heart inflammation, which can lead to like heart murmurs and stuff that can show up on an EKG and lead to other worse complications uh, a doctor would have to speak to that but but what's alarming here is that when they looked at the difference between the first and second vaccine dose the rate of myocarditis even though this was argued by dr sanjay gupta it's only five per million five people per million doses 
it went up from uh, a number below one. It, I believe it was 0. 0.8. So the diff the important point here is the difference between 0. 0.8 and five is massive, right? You're looking at like uh, seven times at least, you know, a little bit. And so that increase tells you there's a causation between the vaccine and this myocarditis. And not just that. And I'm going to take goes to it. Go on. No, I'm going to take this uh, conspiracy football and just go Alex Jones with it. Uh, what you're then saying is that we have a noticeable increase in the side effects as you take the booster shots, which would also mean if the booster shots are something that you have to take every six months, uh, and this is new to us that there's even an increase, are we looking at an exponential increase? Are we looking at like side effects that maybe there were only one, start going to 100? We don't really know. That's the problem with the new technology imposed upon right. all of us. Remember, at first it was, hey, man, you're, you got to take this and you're done. Already people are like, what the fuck are you talking about boosters, right? But now if we're talking about boosters every six months with uh, like uh, weakening utility because they don't, they're not going to work as well for variants, right? We know that. And so it, we got right. a medication that's not going to work it's as well that you have to yeah. keep on taking. And as you keep taking it, there could be uh, substantially more and more growth in the potential side effects. Just doesn't sound like a winning formula. It's it's so nefarious, man. It has to be a purpose, and that's what just gets me so triggered. Especially like when I read some of these dumb articles saying like the leading cause of death during this one month went up um, drastically compared to these other leading causes of death that were going underreported during lockdown. So I think uh, I, what you're talking about is I sent you a Week magazine article. Uh, and so before we take a look at that specific article, which you are ready to dismantle, um, there's been a lot of numbers about, hey, the Delta, the Delta variant is more deadly and uh, all of the deaths are coming from people that were unvaccinated. And so at first we found the flaw with that was that they were reporting deaths going back to January. And so that those numbers wouldn't be relevant. The number, the, the relevant numbers would be, I want to see August, September data, right? Now, from the real world data that I've been able to get my hands on, which is very limited, they do not like to give you the breakouts between vaccinated and unvaccinated. And when they do, when they give you like total numbers, they tell you that it's only from 13 states. Why is it only from 13 right. states? Then they'll also tell you that there's other errors with the data that they're presenting to you. So, by the way, just to take a step back, they're going, hey, we've got enough data to make scientific decisions. But also, like, we know that the data doesn't really like I'll, I'll just pose this question. This is me being ADD. So if theirs is not a working system, which they readily admit, they go, hey, theirs, like if you're seeing 13,000 deaths here, Stopping. just understand the reporting. It's not good. That doesn't mean for sure. OK, then what system do we have in place? to catch if there is a problem. If you're telling me that VAERS is not a good system and you're also telling me that you're going to unleash a new technology into the wild, so what system is in place to catch if there's a problem? Because you can't have I'm going to put on my conspiracy hat yes. if that's okay. Well, it's almost like if they had a secret court called like a vaccine court that had their own rules and kind of operated behind a shroud of secrecy that are regulated by people that they're either sleeping with or used to work with, you know, Oh wait, there is that, there is such a thing. No, I'm not. I, no, I'm, I haven't delved too deep into this. I would probably get disgusting, but for anyone interested, I would just type into DuckDuckGo or Google vaccine court cases and payoffs for people. So they don't actually talk about actual side effects. It's very interesting. And this also goes to another bears reporting that you sent. Um, 
it's pretty common knowledge, it seems, that the COVID vaccine kills more people per million doses than any other vaccine and many common vaccines combined. So what's interesting about VAERS, just to kind of give the, the total picture and be the most accurate yeah. and non-scientific reporting. Um, so the issue with the VAERS, it's twofold. One, I would say from what I understand, and this is not fully researched, but from the conversations I've had with a couple people in this industry, VAERS typically tends to underreport things because it's a pain in the ass to go in there and do the reports. So typically, and it's a... Uh, what do they say? It's like a lagging system. It's not a perfect system. And I would say traditionally, it probably does not catch the full picture of problems. When it comes to Corona, however, it right. could be, it could be that some doctors are actually willing to take the time to import things when they wouldn't for other vaccines, because this is more in the news and people are just a little bit more interested about it, or maybe people are pressing their doctors. So it could be that this is actually being overreported compared to other vaccines. Um, I would venture to guess that it's probably more likely underreported still. I would just venture to guess that there's probably more instances of somebody seeing a doctor that they don't like, you know, it's not a major uh, issue at the moment or it can't be directly correlated to wow. the vaccine. So they're not just sitting down to do two hours of paperwork. Um, right. So I would venture to guess that it's overreported. Okay. The point just for me as being a observer of the system and going we're putting out a new technology and it's new, but we also don't have a way to monitor if it's not working. That's what I'm hearing is that the VAERS system is not a perfect system. So then what system do you have in place to catch if there is actually an issue? Right. And it sounds to me like they don't. They might argue that, well, when it came to Johnson and Johnson, we were able to determine pretty quickly and find this correlation. But then I would want, I would still want an explanation on how. So if you weren't going off the VAERS system how is it that you feel that you're going to be able to spot any potential dangerous trends? This is a brilliant point, and you're asking the right questions. And so many more people are asking the right questions every day. I'm actually pretty positive on things. And what I mean by that is you're asking for the validity of the data. Now, we're asking it on both sides. We're not, we're not, asking, we're not saying, look at all these people that died with bears without saying, you know, this might be overreported. It probably is. But the, I would encourage everyone to go look at it and um and see the differences but the bigger question is what about this other data getting reported by the cdc by other hospitals like we talked about before you know we can all agree that the numbers being reported aren't the real numbers right maybe they're higher maybe they're lower for various reasons that we can speculate talk about and kind of prove but something that i always tried to, to teach people in my limited time you know teaching at one of the these california universities is that it the number isn't important it's about the trend because there's always going to be error in numbers uh, no matter even if they're real numbers with real counts um you want to you want to just use the same methodology to judge stuff throughout time so it's really interesting that you brought up how because covid's in the news more there might be more bears reporting and i think that's a, that's that's a brilliant thing to pick up but i and but ideally uh, one argument against that would be that you know I think I think these other vaccines when they came out were also a lot in the news. Okay. And, Fair enough. So in other words, if we're looking but, at actual big yeah. data sets of vaccines going all the way back to the nineties, there's no way to say that like on the week that they like I know polio is not nineties, but let's just say theoretically nineteen ninety one, the polio yeah. vaccine comes out, doctors are gonna be interested and in actually take the time to do it. So if we're actually looking at data from like a forty year trend of basically vaccines since nineteen ninety, this would be an accurate indicator. And it's not so much 
what you're saying, the 13,000 over the couple million shots. And I believe that's the number of deaths at this moment recorded in the VAR system. I believe it's 13,000. Right. Oddly enough, and I will say something that is pure conspiracy, and I, I, I will own to the fact I seem to recall it's more than a million. It's like hundreds of millions. Yeah. Oh, you mean vaccines, right? Um, a couple months ago, yeah. I seem to remember being able to go to the Bears website and just seeing that chart right away. Now you got to go through about three hoops and be able to put in information in order to pull it up. I couldn't even figure out how to do it. Uh, and so it seems to me like the there the, even the readily available information is not as easily found and they want you to understand that their system for reporting is not good. So they shouldn't just assume that all these deaths are actually because people have taken it. What you're pointing out is that the trend is actually uh, the biggest issue of concern because if it's, um, if it's on the rise now, and then we know that there's going to be progressively more side effects each time people are taking boosters, this would p present a, uh, a theoretically dangerous picture. Now, just to close with the question, if we consider the fact that these numbers thus far of viewed side effects are minuscule against the total numbers of um, uh, vaccines distributed, would you say it's still just the current numbers? I'm not talking about potential future side effects, just current numbers. Would you say it's cause for concern? Yeah, so um, uh, we can uh, bring up the VAERS report too when I share the screen. The current numbers are. Oh, do you want to? Uh, I can set you up for a screen share. Uh, let's do that now. I forgot how to do that. It, this is how many weeks since they last shut down my channel that we had to spend 20 minutes figuring out the microphone situation. And then. Oh, no, uh, I can do it. Oh, you can uh, do it I'll on your end. Okay. Cool. While you're doing that, I want to point everybody in the direction of a particular article. Um, and the article, it was a zero hedge article. Um, Damn you to hell, you will not destroy America. Here's the Spartacus COVID letter that's gone viral. Uh, and within this, the author seems to summarize everything that Stephen was saying months earlier on this podcast. Uh, and what's interesting about some of your analysis, particularly when it came to percentage death rates, um, the fact that the protein spikes will not work for variants and that they might actually become receptors for uh, allowing the virus to more easily infiltrate your cells. A lot of these things that nobody else was saying six months ago are now being more widely reported. So props to you and the Run Your Mouth team for being ahead of the story. And also, if you haven't checked out the earlier episodes with Stephen, uh, they're definitely worthwhile. And that article on Zero Hedge, which, uh, you know what, I'm actually going to post everyone listening now, uh, is definitely worth checking out. So, Stephen, you wanted to share hey. your screen, I believe. Yeah, I think it should be up, or at least it, under Stephen, too. Yep. Here we go. Yeah, perfect. And just to comment on that, this Zero Hedge article is really interesting. And I learned a lot, too, because I didn't delve too deep into the ACE2 receptor and kind of the the side effects of the spike protein specifically I, i'm focused more on kind of upstream of that but uh the zero hedge article goes into a great uh argument about how it's more of a vascular disease what you're hearing now and it kind of affects your blood vessels because that's where this ace2 receptor is and it kind of explains kind of maybe some of these weird symptoms I'm but gonna just um, uh, back I'm, to this really important question yes. that you asked me no no go ahead i was gonna say it, I no it was brilliant because you're like I was going to say, I have no oh. idea what you're talking about with the A's uh, receptors, but we can stay on topic and get into the chart. Yeah, yeah. It's it just kind of like how the virus interacts with the body. 
But um, uh, so so this chart is actually uh, really concerning. So you asked the question, not how many total deaths from the vaccine, but what's the percent of people that get the vaccine die? Okay. So in the bottom, this is all the vaccines listed. And on the right axis over here is going to be millions. And this axis only refers to the gray bar. And, and, and this gray bar for every virus represents the amount of doses given. And so, the, and obviously it's during these time periods. And then this red bar uh, corresponds to this axis over here on the left, which is a different scale, but that represents the amount of deaths per million doses. And so if you, if you look up here, you can see that of the doses given, there's about 400 million COVID deaths, or excuse me, COVID uh, uh, vaccines given. And per a million, there's 18.2, I believe. I, I, my screen is kind of small, but it's 18 deaths per million. Okay, is that higher than... Uh people getting i what's the death rate per million on terms of just getting covid uh right we uh, we can do that in the other um okay that's a great question uh it's 90 99.9 so it's probably an order of magnitude below so like 10 times but we can do that on the next okay. slide that's a good okay. question i don't want to say anything but it's right, just so 18 just, divided by a million obviously so what we're looking at here is essentially that the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, based on the VARES data, has a higher death percentage than other vaccines. Even though it doesn't have a high death rate, it, it's still just, it, it is uh, noticeably higher. Um, now, typically speaking, in a normal environment, let's say you were the FDA, CDC, if you were looking at that, is that like enough data, what you're looking right. at here to go, hey, this is unlike other vaccines and we're pulling it? Because uh, we're still in like early early so, usage, or is this just not that alarming? Dude, I think that's a great question. Um, first, early usage, you want to see the opposite. If, okay. early, if early usage, you're getting a spike in both the doses given and the people dying. That's a bad trend. Okay. Per million as right. a percent. That's a terrible trend. And But, but I think that's a great question to um, compare it to other viruses. So we have uh, influenza here. You can see just since uh, 2006, we have over uh, about 1,900 times a million doses. So quite a few doses. But its death per million is only 0.25 for the for influenza vaccine. And then this can also be compared to more serious viruses like hepatitis B, you'll hear a lot. Um, there aren't that many doses given, so you can't even see it on the scale of millions. But per the million doses given, or if a million doses were given, 3.3 or 3.13 people die per million doses. Okay. And so it's just shocking. Again, based on this shaking VARES data, that even if we cut the amount of COVID vaccine deaths in half, we're, we're still looking at nine people per million doses dying from the COVID vaccine, man.
and that and that bar would be right here. That would be the second most most uh, deadly uh, vaccine, which is interesting behind this measles. Okay, so in other words, the death rate according to VAERS at this juncture in time, understanding that VAERS is not a great reporting system uh, right. and maybe over-reporting or under-reporting. But if you take that number just to recognize this versus every other vaccine, because every other vaccine is within the same reporting system, it's clearly right. at least 40% higher uh, than the next most deadly vaccine. I know that's a weird way to put it. That's almost like a CNN uh, type way of putting it. Uh, but it, but it clearly, it, it clearly takes the title for most deadly vaccine. Right. I mean, let's, we could talk about it with 18 um, per million, yeah, 18 numbers. per million is the vaccine death yeah. rate. Right. Versus nine for mumps and less than one for influenza. And now here's, what's really terrible about this information being presented in this way. As a theoretical, if I were to look at this and find out that every single one of these deaths was people between the age of 30 and 40, then you would instantly go, well, it's not just 18 per million. It's actually 18 per how many people in the age group of 30 to 40 got this vaccine. And then, holy shit, we better not give this to anyone except if they're over the age of 50. Now, what might be very likely is that this is all people in the risk category of over the age of 65, right? But then if we find out it's all people over the age of 65, you're also looking at a different death rate because now it's this death number versus how many people got vaccinated. Now, if I have a smaller subgroup that right. is actually the people dying of the vaccine, and now I compare that to the COVID death rate, right? Maybe you have a vaccine with zero utility. The point just being, this is the information that you would need to have in order to make an intelligent decision. And so for the government to say, hey, we've got everything in place in order to monitor this, to, to like to to be making a smart decision here, you and I, if we're reviewing the data here, there clearly isn't enough at least available information to go. Yes, this is this is a practical solution to a problem. Right. And if you wanted to mandate something, this is the last thing you would want to see. Right. Yes. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, it's crazy, but yeah. And then I guess I can start sharing this other screen. Yeah, and so that article you sent me, if you want to get into that. So essentially, okay, before we do that, so I've been trying to monitor as much as possible current numbers. Yeah. And I think the most interesting thing to see is for the months of um, basically August, September, and October, once we know that we're dealing with the Delta variant, uh, firstly, these would be the crucial questions. First, how deadly is the virus? How long is the variant going to last? Uh, is it adding utility to people that have been vaccinated? In other words, what's the death and hospitalization rates break out between unvaxxed and vaxxed, right? And what is the death rates of people? Like, what is my risk if I'm an unvaxxed individual against the Delta, right? If I'm a 25-year-old, a 35-year-old, a 40-year-old, I want to know what is my risk of getting sick? Because as we explained in, in, in uh, earlier episodes, they've been telling me the uh, the relative risk adjust uh, uh, the relative risk, which doesn't matter. If I have no risk of death at this thing, there's no utility of taking this vaccine, right? Okay, so just to recap, the important information: if you were intelligent society trying to make intelligent decisions, you would want to know what's my risk of death if I get the Delta variant. 
how much is this virus, how much is the vaccine actually going to help me? And so the numbers you would want to look at is what's the death and hospitalization rate by age and health category broken out um, uh, broken out by uh, vaxxed and unvaxxed. That information is not readily available. The information that is available, however, from what I saw from the little bit of dipping that I did is that in the real world at this time, it almost seems like the vaccines are performing better than what we saw in the pretrial data. Because in the pretrial data, we saw basically 14 deaths or maybe it was 12 versus 13 and basically zero utility. In the real world application, it does seem like the vaccines are performing better. And I'm going to fuck. I, you know what? I should have looked this over because it was like a month ago when I was emailing you about this stuff. It was almost like an eight to one ratio of vax to unvax. But in other words, it, there, there appeared to be some utility. So before we in get the into the, yeah. before we get yeah. into the chart, which uh, points out to the misinformation of trying to overpresent the corona problem. Uh, first, I'm going to just uh, pause for a second and see if there's any insight on your end in terms of um, vaxxed versus unvaxxed in the U.S. death rates or other information along those lines. Yeah, I mean, just generally speaking, I think it's interesting how there's data from other countries that shows that the hospitalization death rates are could be more 50 50 percent particularly so israel right so israel is going to have relevant data every other country because this came out alex berenson who i like a lot yeah um had said oh and there's another I, i'm add but he said something really interesting on rogan which i'll mention in a second but he had pointed out that in the uk right now it's 50 50. the issue is that in the uk i don't know what level of astrazeneca they were using so it might not be relevant to the us Israel's very relevant right. because they were using Pfizer and they did notice that after six months, the, vi the, the vaccine seems to have little to any utility. Now, what Alex pointed out, which I thought was fascinating, is that if you're trying to do a risk assessment of taking the vaccine versus not taking the vaccine, uh, it appears that within the first seven days of in the gap of time between your first and second dose, you actually have lowered immunity. And there's a higher there's a higher rate of death, right? I don't know if this is true. I heard him say, it and I thought that was fascinating. Uh, I was like, oh, that's a missing piece of the puzzle, is because if I want to look at total death rates amongst people in the vax category, so part of the vaxing regimen is that there will be a gap of time between one and two. So if that has a substantial increase in death, that if I start adding in not just people that are fully vaccinated. In other words, this whole idea of looking at just the fully vaccinated 14 days out is a flawed picture because there's a regimen, right, where I have to wait a gap of time between these two things. So if it's actually lowering my immunity for a period of time where people are dying at a higher rate and I'm trying to do a pure comparison of being not, gonna, not vaxxed right. versus vaxxed, even my information for assessing the risk of being vaxxed is going to be completely distorted because you're removing time periods that are part of your regimen. His example was like a, if you if you had a uh, antidepressant and you said, well, it takes two weeks to kick in. So we're not going to look at the data until two weeks, but everyone's killing themselves within the first 14 days. You still wouldn't recommend taking it. Right. So in other words, we all know that right. the way that they are putting this to get this data together is certainly flawed. The most accurate picture uh, might be coming from Israel, where they seem to keep slightly more honest and better data. That's where the study came out saying that uh, people with natural immunity uh, have 15 times greater. And then it's also more robust, but we don't even need to get into that. I'll hand it back to you to say, what what is the most recent data you've seen from Israel comparing vaxxed versus unvaxxed? 
Right. Um, that is just hospitalization data. So it's just vaxxed versus unvaxxed data. And it just seems that particularly at the six-month period, you see less than 50% of people are actually vaccinated in the hospital. Or excuse me, the majority of people are vaccinated in the hospital. But I guess There's, I want to back up and just speak generally about kind yeah. of the discrepancies you see here in the United States. So there's just one more thing that, to note. So about, the vaccines, obviously. Yeah. No, I was just going to say one more thing to note about Israel, though, is that and uh, this is where the statistical analysis gets a little bit beyond my comprehension, is that you do have to add in the variable that there's a higher percentage of vaccinated people in Israel. So there is some sort of a math equation for like it's not you can't just look at the pure percentage split of who ends up in the hospital. It's you know what I mean? Like there's a kicker that needs to be adjusted for. Yeah, it's also about promises, though. Right. Okay, like, fair it, enough. You know, you know, um, I, and that's kind of gets to what I was about to say, too. Trust me, like vaccines work. I used to work for a company to purify antibodies. The way you make antibodies is we took like whatever we wanted you to make antibodies for and we injected it into rabbits. And then you usually have to wait uh, five weeks. You take blood six, seven, eight and maybe nine. And that's how long it takes those rabbits and actually us too to make IgG antibodies. Okay. So that's so that's actually pertinent to the vac the vaccine. But my issue isn't with vaccinating people against COVID and the effort the and how it can severely reduce disease, and especially if you're susceptible, because we see that right. And your risk reward if you're over 65, like we presented before, is to take the vaccine. My problem is one with mandates because the risk profile of this disease is drastically different depending on your age. Um, this is not the same with hepatitis or even these other diseases we went over. Um, your risk and the essentially kind of the downside of getting those diseases is pretty equal uh, amongst your, your age. In, in other words, like um, once you have HIV, or or hepatitis b you're not it sucks. you know it sucks if yes. you're 12 and it sucks if you're 65 which is completely different than corona right exactly right precisely and 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 so i have a problem one with the mandates and two rushing mrna technology like literally shoving it down people's throat to the point where they can't even choose not to take it and you were asking very good questions about the vaccine vax versus unvax we would know a lot more if they kept that Pfizer clinical trial going. Right. Because we would have 20,000 people. That, that, and it's not like we would send 20,000 unvaxxed people out to die. These people will live near a hospital, right? Like, um, and then they kind of know what they were doing. I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to explain. So, so, to, so to that's people why you have clinical trials. To loop people in on that, and you can go look. This is this is not conspiracy. You can find the right. NPR article. Yes. Um, they ran a uh, okay. They ran the trial right where you have your vaxxed and your unvaxxed. Uh, the corona. So what they did though to kind of delete their evidence is they took all the people that they didn't vaccinate and they gave them the vaccine, and they said, well, we can't just let them live out there and maybe get corona. Except that every trial in all of human history. You need the two groups. That's the way it works. Yeah. But by the way, I'm sure there are studies that they've done where they've had like a cancer treatment that's perfect. And then there's some person that doesn't get it, even though they see that it's working, because guess what? We need to run a trial 
And so th- some people don't get it. And in this case, it's not even like this moral thing Called where they're placebo. all going to be dropping yeah. dead. Yeah, yes. you're right. But it's not like, like I would understand if all of a sudden you realized, hey, this thing worked and now this group of people are literally just going to die off. I would, I would somewhat understand making that decision. I still might argue, yeah, but in order to make an evaluation for everybody, we need to have a control group, right? And so what, what like, or what is the other process that you're going to have so that we can, mon- like, if you go, well, I got a different system for monitoring and everyone's going to die unless I give this to them, then you go, okay, that maybe, maybe then it makes sense. But in this case, those people are not dying off in droves. Right. They very clearly wanted to get rid of the control group. It's very shady, which is what um, I, I'm sorry. I, I got I, I got distracted there, but that's what that's the article that you're referencing. Well, precisely. It's uh, by the time the EUA came out, it was deemed that COVID-19 was too dangerous for everyone. So we needed to vaccinate everyone with an EUA that wasn't even quite fully FDA approved, like some of these other vaccines that are still out there. And particularly when you look at different age groups, like we kind of talked about before, which I just find it amazing how there can still be talks of mandates with straight faces. And the FDA literally said that like people 17 years old that can get a job at McDonald's can't be vaccinated with one of them. Oh, you mean with uh, they're not giving that what Johnson Johnson or Moderna? They're only giving. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. So the FDA panel voted not to allow adolescents 12 to 17 to get the Moderna vaccine. Okay. So, all right. So in other words, what you're saying is we already have that two, that two of the vaccines are not approved for under 17. So in other words, like you're telling kids that they have to get a Pfizer shot in order to have employment at age 17. That's, that's what you're saying. Yeah. And actually just more generally, I'm saying, If we're making vaccines against the virus and these vaccines are very similar and two out of three aren't okay for uh, okay. Yeah, younger that's, that's more people that aren't even at risk, right? why are we pushing this? Right. And they all, they all have a similar technology. So it's like, is Pfizer really that much better than the others that two of them are not safe, but one of them is safe? <laughs> And it's a dosage difference. I understand that. But again, right. we're not talking lab rats that like if we kill, you know, we'll just burn them and no one will, no one will matter. Dude, we're talking right. fucking people, bro. Right. And and this is literally like an experiment that you would do in, in, in a lab and it would be a little bit more controlled, but they're just skipping that and going right to people. Okay. But um, just in terms of generally speaking, vaxxed versus unvaxxed. Yeah. Um, any commentary right. on the general yeah. picture of uh, death or hospitalization rates between the two categories? And you might not have an answer because it's not it's not easily available. Yeah. So you might not have a general feel for it. Uh, I would say most 70 uh, percent of that I've kind of turned off recently. I just don't know who to trust. And it, it, it just well, gets I me think... kind of going because, you know, for better. And by the way, and also to let people know. You're actually really good once there's a bigger picture on the data, right? So to be looking at the month-to-month stuff that's not even easily available and to be pulling your hair out to try and get bad data that you can't make a good interpretation on for a person like you would drive you nuts, uh, which is even partly my complaint is that how come there isn't good enough data that people like you can just read it and then give me a clear study that I'm trying to sift through medical journals as a person who just knows I'm being lied to, but and and is good at constructing arguments, but has no expertise here whatsoever. Um, so why don't we pull up? Because they're definitely still trying to present a picture 
that the Delta variant's out there. It's highly deadly. And if you're a healthy 30 year old and you've chosen not to get vaccinated, yes. you're going to die. They're really trying to pu push a story here. Um, and so I found a, uh, an article in yeah. Week magazine, which I like a lot. Uh, and I sent it over your way. And with first, at first you're like, I'm not going to read this because I don't have the fucking time. Then you write it a second time. And you're like, fuck, this is lying. And then you wrote me a whole thing of like, man, this is fucking garbage. And here's how horrible they are. So I'll hand it back to you to break it down for us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got a, I got a little going. Um, it's it's just because it was talking about leading causes of death. And um, it going right to your point, I like looking at yearly data. Uh, because um, a whole year doesn't really lie. And I like comparing years because things can differ month to month. Everyone knows can pick up any reason, right? But yeah, year to year, they remain pretty similar, relatively. So with that said, so the claim from the article that's technically true, it was pretty alarmist. It was saying the average daily deaths of COVID-19, it actually peaked as the leading cause of death for the month of January in 2021. And um, it dropped to number seven. Uh, they, they claim that's because of uh, vaccines. But more importantly, the part that I was really uh, kind of ticked off about was they said that uh, right here, the Delta variant seemed to be the number two killer in August and September and the leading cause of death for Americans aged 35 to 54, and even the sixth or seventh leading cause of death for children. And so part of the article, they, um, if you're watching, they have this graph of the daily deaths in the United States. And this blue line is the heart disease deaths. And this green line is the cancer deaths. And the accident deaths are down here, followed by some other diseases. And of course, what's surprising here, uh, if you just look at the graph, is this pink line is the COVID daily deaths. That's pretty variable. Uh, quite variable. And they're referring to this point right here in Jan 2021, where the, sp the spike of COVID deaths hit over about 3,000 versus heart disease deaths at 2,000 for the, about the month of January 2021. Right, but I guess heart disease is consistent as fuck. Like heart yeah, disease, dude, I'm saying, puts the in the work. That it's I like... struggle with because. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go on. No, I was gonna say heart disease. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Every I single just day. Think, um, <laughs> oh, no, sorry, got, man. No, yeah, no, so, no worries. We got a lag, so I'm gonna hand it back to you. Okay, thanks. Um, so basically, I, I, you know, this is technically true, and I just have a bigger problem because it's very manipulative. Because they're um, speculating that the vaccine is helping with this data. And they're cherry picking the data just during the month of April 2020 to October 2021. And during that time, we were all locked down. So that's going to drastically change the leading causes of death. When you just look at the period during the most severe lockdowns, where everyone was COVID aware in the hospitals. Right. And then also, uh, like your accidental deaths are not going to exist if no one's getting on a highway and your heart <laughs> disease deaths are not going to necessarily, or your, your cancer deaths might not be at, I guess, I guess you die of cancer on your own schedule. Um, 
But yeah, maybe maybe yes, maybe if it's you a died false of cancer reporting. and you had COVID. Yeah, so there might be false reporting there. Right, and that's speculative speculation, right? And there's nothing to again say COVID deaths aren't serious, but heart disease has been killing two thousand people a day for decades. And no, COVID did numbers. do this for thirty Every days. Every season, yeah, it's easy to come in for thirty days. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. some death numbers. It's uh, can you do it for twenty to forty years? That's real numbers. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And then, and then, just to summarize, just to kind of put it back to the graph that we had during our first and second talk. This is the black line is the age distribution of COVID deaths up until August 2021. And what that is, is if 100 people died of COVID, the black line represents the people of that age group. So you can see about 76% are going to be 65 and older. And this is an important graph because when talking about the leading cause of death for uh, certain age groups, You can see for this younger group, again, just wanted to make the point that the accidents make up the vast or make up the vast majority of the deaths here. And so when you get older, you're more susceptible to COVID, but less susceptible to accidents versus when you're younger, you're less susceptible to COVID, but more susceptible to accidents. So if you just group that data together, you're giving a incomplete representation of the risk profile. Okay. Uh, weird question for you, but it just kind of sparked that I, I've been seeing this recently and it might be too early to say, uh, as you said, you like to work, look at yearly data. So in earlier episodes, we looked at annual data and we said, look, if Corona is this horrible and terrible thing, why isn't there an increase in the risk of death overall? Like if aliens invaded Earth and they started killing people, right, your increase, there'd be a drastic yeah. increase in death because a year ago there weren't aliens. Now there's aliens. So if you look at Corona and you go, hey, there's this thing that didn't exist a year ago, I would think that there's a massive increased risk of death. There isn't. And so it, it looks like it's uh, barring from other diseases. One of the things I've heard anti-vaxxers saying over the last couple uh I'm going to say really over the last month, this argument has kind of appeared and I don't know all the specifics on it. And like I said, it might be too early to kind of make this evaluation, but people are starting to notice that in 2021 general death rates seem to be up and not just that, but even like Corona death rates seem to be up. So if a large portion of the population has been vaccinated, why is there an increase? So the argument might be, well, the Delta is more deadly. And so it's really targeting a lot more unvaxxed or maybe which is something I've seen Alec Berenson report on as of late, uh, is that maybe there actually are already some side effects of the vaccine that just generally speaking, death rates are up because maybe people are starting to die of like other causes, but at higher rates as a result of the vaccines. Now, that might be too early to evaluate. Uh, it's just two things that I've seen people kind of kicking around as anti-vax arguments. Uh, curious as we're looking at death charts, if maybe you've seen, seen anyone say that, uh, before, you know, I just spewed it to you. And if you think it's got any validity or this is your first time hearing it, so you wouldn't know. 
that's kind of my first time hearing it. But like, if I was to like assess the argument, is it that more people are dying in 2021 as a percent at, than 2020? I believe, yes, I believe so. Or just that like the actual death rates are higher. So like, for example, even if you look at, I mean, this is just a theoretical, I'm working off of the one article I saw from yeah. Alex, but let's say we looked at 65 year olds and there's an increase in cancer, heart, like literally every other disease of 10% this year. So you would want to know, well, what changed this year that there's an increase of all these other, like why are more 65 year olds dying at age 65? Yeah. And if one thing changed, it's not the water supply, right? If one thing changed amongst the population, there might be your evidence of the fact now, I, like, like I said, it might be too early to tell that. And if this is your first time hearing it, it it's worth evaluation for like a future episode. I would be skeptical about year over year. Okay. Comparisons be, because last year might've been very underreported or honestly, again, I'm speculating, but I would not be surprised if a lot of those COVID deaths were a pull forward of maybe someone that had cancer, but uh, you're putting COVID on the top of the death certificate. No, they're going to be COVID death. Right, right. So in other words, if heart disease dropped by 10% last year because we reported right. as Corona, so then this year, if heart disease goes up 10%, yeah. it's just because we're re-recording what it normally is. So a year over year. So we, we or, would have to actually, yes. Right. Yeah, okay. or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm trying... I want to be really careful not to say coronavirus isn't a bad virus and it hasn't killed a shitload of people and caused real like trouble and the vaccines do work very well for some people. But, but again, we're, we're not talking about like a, a logical approach to it. And, and, um, and it's very invasive and it's very one track minded and everyone can see through it. Okay. So, so that's why it's really important for like personal choice. But uh, again, um, I also want to say that COVID could be also pulling for those actual deaths. So like someone could have an undiagnosed heart disease, right? Or, or, you know, stage one of like a more complicated process. And then the COVID disease actually made it worse. And so, so, so COVID did kill them, right? And so, so it's, all, it's all spectrum, especially with science. And I can imagine at the hospital. All right, so we're looking For at a chart. Right, we're looking at a chart from our previous conversation. Uh, educate me. What am I looking at here? Yeah, so this is to go back to what you said. So basically, in 2015, 2.7 million people died versus 3.4 in 2020. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that for me? Which is a pretty, you know, pretty subs. Yeah, sure. 2.7 million people died in 2015 versus 3.4 million in 2020. Okay, so that higher population, right? Right. Well, uh, it, it would need to be normalized, but that was more just to put in this graph into perspective. And that's what the total numbers of COVID deaths, and again, per age, um, I, I think it's also important to remind people per year going to August of 2021, only 27 kids, one to four died of COVID while 41 died of influenza. And then you go up five to 14, you start seeing a preference to COVID two to one to influenza. And then you go 15 to 24, you're seeing um 
it's kind of small on my screen, but it looks like a 10, 12X. So it's just to put in perspective for younger kids and their risk tolerance. And this is more just percent of uh, total deaths per age group. And I think more interesting to the conversation we just had is, um, you know, how much does each disease contribute to mortality per age group? So that article, again, that we looked at was taking a very specific time period, you know, during lockdown and then assess the monthly and weekly and daily deaths. Very granular. So this actually just looks at the year of 2020 and 2015. And we talked about this before. And as you can see, the percent of COVID deaths in 2020 uh, per age group right here, it, it's, it's not uh, insignificant. So you could see how under a bad case scenario, it could overpass heart disease because uh, you're comparing the color of bars to the color of bars. And that's representative of the age group. So for instance, for this uh, maroon bar, which is uh, 54 or 55 to 64, it would uh, 2X your risk of COVID during a certain month would put you over your risk of heart disease. All right. And so what's the, so the general takeaway and is just so that's saying all that, that, is. that 30 year olds are not, uh, should not be overly concerned of dying of Corona. Still, still with the most recent evidence of Delta. Yeah. And it just shows you how, if you get really granular with the data, you can become pretty alarmist, right? right. If you're oh, looking okay. for something and I'm breaking it down by week right. or month, you know, I can, I can find something. Okay. So just to, uh, well, I, b before I move on to the next topic, is there anything else, uh, specifically from this article? Uh, okay. No, that you wanted to showcase for us. It was just more, I didn't appreciate the one-sided take right. of pushing a point and then speculating that to be like, everyone get vaccinated. Okay. So one of the more interesting things that you kind of, uh, uh gave us the scoop on, uh, is that by nature, the vaccine is a single protein spike and it's not going to work all that well for uh, variants. And as there are progressively more variants, this, the, the current protein spike is going to do less. Now, I even heard the guy from Pfizer saying that we think that it's going to work for variants and it's currently working for variants. And if it doesn't, we'll be able to, you know, get different versions going, whatever. Let's forget about the vaccine talk know. for a second. Oh, yes, they do know. Okay. Forget about the vaccine talk for a second. Based on just what we're seeing at the moment with this virus, what are your expectations like moving forward? Do you think we're going to see increasingly more variants? Do you think the variants are going to get better or worse? Uh, do you think the vaccine, like what, just what's your general, based on everything we know today, and you had to give your, your prediction yeah. six months from now or three months from now, just what is your general picture for our lives under you know the new corona regime? We'll call it that. I would first set the frame. Um, there have already been, you know, hundreds of thousands of mutants. We only know about a handful of them because those are the ones that were able to spread to someone else and then spread to someone else and then spread to someone else. Right. And, and so um, with that being said, our risk 
collectively to the virus isn't really a function of the of the variants. It's how well like our collective immune system can deal can I guess deal with the virus or the variants or the severity. Okay. And what I mean by that is like by just the nature of the coronavirus, it seems that natural immunity can be strong and once acquired, it's very lasting. And this is according to the Israeli study. Again, I'm I'm speaking kind of like from what I've what I've read. And and by doing so, just by people getting exposed to it enough, will drive the virus out of existence as we know it. Okay. So and now a lot of this will be attributed to the vaccines. And the worst part is that we won't really know because we will, it'll be hard to differentiate. But I get, I would put a good portion of money that I make every year on three months from now. Four months from now, you'll be looked at a clown if you try to talk about coronavirus like being a major risk or filling up hospitals. Okay, so your prediction is uh, Corona's on the downward. We're going to have increasingly more people with natural immunity. And Whether so it, not. we're not allowed to talk about natural immunity. It's not a winning strategy. The robust immunity of kids with multiple protein spikes that weren't going to die of it, that would be a losing strategy. We need to make sure everyone's got the vaccine. But anyways, your trajectory is that the uh, is that COVID is on, you know, it's going to go away or at least it's not going to be this adamant thing that we got to hear about all the time. Or maybe they'll continue to lie and pretend like it's real bad. But, you know, it, it's, it's not going to progress. OK, with that being said, so now I'd like to turn our attention to something that we haven't really discussed yet. Thus far, our analysis of the vaccine is do I have a high risk of death? And will taking this potentially offer you enough utility that is even worth taking? And then we've also mentioned the fact that is there a good enough evidence that what we've seen of government creating mandates and going full totalitarian, is there at least something there to maybe justify that? Okay, like in other words, me and you, we're liberty lovers, but there might be a level of pandemic where even though I don't support it, I can understand the rationale of government freaking out and restraining liberty. This was not that. So thus far, our analysis has been on uh, death rates and utility of the vaccine, and then also how unjustified government is in its actions. Now, right. I'd like by to age just, range. By age range. I'd like to take a brief uh, minute to the, to the extent that we can to forecast what we might expect by way of side effects. So just to be clear, Thus far, we've only said, hey, we don't think that this thing's a good idea because it's not that good. And there may be side effects. We have not had a conversation in any capacity about what kind of side effects we are forecasting. This is a new technology. And I don't want to be alarmist and tell people, hey, I think terrible things are going to happen. The most alarming thing we've said on this podcast, and it goes back a full year, was with Sam Parker, who's been an absolutely brilliant guest. He's been on multiple times. He was the guy who kind of let our listeners know that Corona was going to be a big deal. Yeah, big, sooner than it was. And he was saying that when it came to the mRNA technology, which was put out without true trials, the animal studies that they did on it were not good. Now, I asked him to send me those studies. I had a couple people take a look at them. There were real studies with mRNA vaccines that went poorly in the animal studies. Now, none of them, as far as I understand, were this particular mRNA vaccine. I believe that some of those were made for intended for tuberculosis or other things. 
And there might even be, uh, I believe, some mRNAs that have been used before that were successful, perhaps for cancer. I'm not sure about that. Am I, have there been, wait, let me just ask, have there been, as far as you know, any successful usages of mRNA technology prior to what we're doing now? Or is this the first, uh, before we get into the like side effects, is this the first time that we're actually using it for something? That's a great question. And I mean, we could do a whole nother podcast on stuff that would blow your mind, that stuff that we can do in the lab to human cells. And right. that is actively being, being doing, uh, excuse me, that's actively being done in the clinic. You mean and with mRNA example, technology? What is routine in some ocular? I'm saying even crazier, um, even more invasive. So for certain ocular diseases, there's a, um, a mutated gene that causes blindness early in life. So what uh, scientists do in the lab is actually create a lentivirus. Is this, and CRISPR, this is a virus or is this something else? Excuse me? Is this the CRISPR technology or this is something else? It's based on it's based on CRISPR. You can package CRISPR in that same virus. And that's actually how you use CRISPR. So using viruses as vehicles to get genes or gene modifying uh, tools into cells of human beings to cure diseases is not new. It's been done for about a decade and has been actually commonplace and being sold as therapies for the past couple of years. Okay. But what's really important is that these are all gain of function and uh, trigger word on purpose, right? You use these to correct a defect, either insert a gene or get rid of an extra gene, modify with CRISPR a mutation. Um, so you're, you're correcting an organism. It's still with viral and synthetic particles. But when it comes to the mRNA vaccine, uh, in, and, and all this is done in animals too, but anyway, when it comes to the mRNA vaccine side effects, the whole premise of the mRNA vaccines are the same as a virus that would infect you. In fact, the flu virus is an RNA virus too. So it's just a, it's just a particle, very similar to the vaccine, with RNA in it. And it finds your cells with a different spike protein. And it goes into slightly different cells. And that's where it makes the directions that are in its RNA. And so the only difference between that and, the, and uh, this mRNA vaccine is that instead of replicating and making more viruses, it just has the cells that it infects make the spike protein. Okay. Wait, so the flu, I just understand you correctly, because I might have said this incorrectly on about 100 podcasts so far, which is uh, what's nice about being a non-scientist. <laughs> I, I, I thought, I, from what I understood, was that every other vaccine gave you the actual virus, and so your body was reacting to the virus, versus this, which was kind of giving you... Uh, was giving you the protocols on like how to oh, so was, I was talking about the flu virus the actual virus oh okay my bad so in other words the Sorry. actual flu virus Sorry. works in a similar way to uh the mRNA That's the COVID vaccine okay interesting fine yes um all right so now just uh that was a little bit of an ADD moment so we'll get back to the core question here which yeah. is uh the animal studies that existed for mRNA at least in tuberculosis um, did not go well, and they were com uh, particularly suspicious as uh, it's sorry. Can, please, can I just add to just to finish that point? I was talking about sure. these other gene therapies. There, there are some side effects, and the more the downside is if your body builds antibodies, 
to some of these therapies and that, that maybe need to go in multiple times. But usually these therapies only go in one to three times because they actually uh, modify your genes. Okay. And so, but I well, think uh, what's, what's important, I do want to answer. No, I would just say that would tie into what you said earlier with the current vaccines is that if they have increasing problems and the evidence would be that as you reintroduce these technologies to people's bodies, you're more likely to see side effects or antibody buildup. The fact that we have a technology that needs an ongoing treatment would indicate based off of similar technologies that that is a losing proposition as the repeating treatment seems to uh, both on trends for this and based off of other trials, increase potential side effects and problems. The trend is going the wrong way. Okay. Yeah. So now just in terms of uh, mRNAs, uh, so it, uh, I I could not fully understand those studies. They're beyond, they're beyond what I can read. I showed them to one doctor who said, I'm not sure, but like this is at least accurate. Another person who listens to the show basically wrote in and said that's irrelevant for Corona because those were like tuberculosis and other studies. Yes. What was alarming to me was just that the, uh, from what I understand, there were not animal studies for this mRNA vaccine. We kind of just got it through. And then what was alarming to me was that the mRNA studies that have been conducted in animals did not go that well. And they particularly didn't go that well when like the animals were exposed to variants. It wasn't so much the first thing they were trying to prevent against. It was more the variants right. on that. Uh, so I'll hand it back to you just to say, are, in your estimation, what do you think we could see by way of side effects? Like when do side effects even come? Is it like 10 years, 20 years? I don't know anything about science. Right. I don't know the way medical research works. Typically speaking, at what point in trials do we end up seeing from the long term? Like just in your opinion, give us a little education here in terms of the potential risk of side effects and what we might see. Right. Specifically to the mRNA vaccines. So, and, and all gene therapies, there's probably two things you need to be worried about. The initial, the initial uh, giving of the product or the vaccine. And here you're worried about having a bad reaction to the particle that's containing the RNA. Um, any, any little protein that's going to help it go to the cells that you want it to infect. So maybe it might be an eye cell. So you put a little eye protein on the outside. And, and, and so you want to make sure that that doesn't inflame your body and that can get to its target because even building antibodies against that is just, it's negligible. And then, but once you get that and you can get that safely inside a body with everything else that's in the vaccine. Then you start doing the actual mechanism of the mRNA. And so ideally the mRNA would find its way inside a muscle cell. And that's important. We can talk about aspirating later. And once inside a muscle cell, there's very well-known ways to trick into reading mRNA that you put in exogenously to start expressing the spike protein. And the reason you want, they're using mRNA ideally is because mRNA is degradable. If you were to use DNA or to, to use a lentivirus, you could actually insert that into the DNA of the muscle cell and have it constantly expressing spike protein. This would be tragic because then you would have literally uh, one cell in your body expressing a protein from a virus that would cause antibodies, inflame. Um, not only would that go through your bloodstream, but uh, it would cause your body to start killing itself, right? It would have to. But this is very similar to what happens during other viral infections. Like when the flu 
So when the flu infects your body, uh, your cells will start expressing flu proteins, and then that's how your body knows to come. So, so it's not like a novel mRNA technology, right? It's, it's more dependent on the protein that's being expressed so, because we're pretty good as scientists as tricking your body in a way that we know won't inflame it to do what we want it to do. The problem is once it's doing what we want it to do, um, how healthy is that? What's that gonna result in? So then that's number two for the, for the side effects. Once the spike protein is being expressed, is it merely going to be, you know, uh, cause antibodies to um, respond just to it? Something that I'm afraid about is that while your cell is expressing this spike protein, it can get attached to other proteins, including the cell membrane itself. And so what can happen is your body can build antibodies to the spike protein connected to some of your own protein, because that's enough difference to signal your body that this is a this is a foreign peptide or a foreign uh, artifact that needs to be get rid of. So God forbid your body starts making antibodies against part of itself because part of your own body is kind of expressing this aberrant spike protein. And building antibodies against yourself is the cause of uh, arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, um, all anti or all inflammatory uh problems for yourself. Okay. So, uh, you, your biggest concern would be that over time there might be an inflammatory response. What would be the timetable on, on that taking place? Right. So things like that develop rather slowly and things are like arthritis and, um, kind of the signals of, uh, like lupus of autoimmune disorders can go off and characterize as something else. So I think as a smoking gun, that's not something that could readily come unless we actually analyze antibodies, the serum from people that are vaccinated in a way that we could then say, okay, th this is binding spike protein and your own proteins. Okay. Which could now be done in a lab. And, and yeah. Now, worst case uh, scenario. So first is, Let's not even get into booster talk. Let's just assume that like boosters weren't on the table. Right, People right. like, let's just assume for a second they don't exist because you're saying that that's going to be ever increasing. The issues will be ever increasing. So let's just assume the boosters don't exist. It was just people took one shot or they already took their two right. Pfizer's. Uh, the most extreme stuff that you'll see online, and I just instantly ignore this, is 2025, everyone's going to be dead. If they got this vaccine, it, for whatever reason, they're convinced that it's going to completely turn on you and you're going to be dead in five years. I uh, what like in your estimate and then people are already claiming like, uh, you know, people have gotten early onset like tremors and Parkinson's. You got the people saying that, uh, you know, it's about population control and it's making it's increasing miscarriages or like that's just some of the loony talk. Uh, it sounds to me like your worst case scenario based off of a uh of people having take it is just some sort of a increase in bodily inflammation. So what, what, what is like the worst case scenario in your, in your opinion? I mean, within reason, like within reason, I, like we would know the scope know, like of risk or before, something. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a spectrum, right? And yeah. I don't want to sit here and say the vaccine doesn't cause miscarriages if there's a couple people where that happened. Right. But 
where that happened with their case. But again, in all these outcomes we're talking about, especially including death, uh, we're not talking about lab rats that I used to care for in a cage where I can say, I know what you ate, I know what you drank, I know when you're awake, I know when you're sleeping, and I know what happened to you. I know how old you are. Um, so, so like that's what I meant by a, a, a spectrum. Um, but something I'm gonna put, uh, um, something that worried me. So some of our cells, particularly immune cells, and this is rather debated, have something called uh, a um, uh, reverse telomerase. And it's essentially the ability to turn RNA back into DNA. And each one of our cells, particularly our immune cells, has this ability to uh, keep up uh, the telomeres at the end of our cells. Long story short, these are just caps on our DNA that need to be uh, kept there. So every time our cells divide, they don't eat away at the end of the DNA. And the way our body does this is we Oh, are we back? Yeah, you, you you know, YouTube's on to us. You froze up there a little bit as you were getting to the heart of the story of what's going to happen to us. You were saying there were caps on our DNA that we need to yeah. protect Sorry. Us. Basically, I'm saying conspiracy, short story. Sorry. I think it's possible that the way that these mRNAs are going into our muscle cells and into the bloodstream, which they shouldn't be going into the bloodstream, can get converted to DNA and run the risk of either being express this DNA that hangs around a lot longer than RNA. Okay. And uh, you kind of froze there a little bit, but I think I got the, the gist of it. So it might convert itself to DNA, which will stick around longer. And if it's self-replicating, we're more at risk. What is the timetable on? Uh, it's 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 not it's not it's not self replicating. Well, actually, that's actually brilliant. That's brilliant. It, it would be self replicating because if it goes to DNA, it's replicated with every time that replicates. Okay, and so what would be the timetable on, like, when that? It, like, is that a ten year thing? Is it fifteen years from now? If such an occurrence were to take place, when when would we notice that? It's not going to be like a bomb dropping, unfortunately. And this is going to affect people differently. And the only way to really see this is in the nitty gritty. Because let's say worst case happens, like I said, that RNA gets converted into DNA and gets integrated into the genome of a cell. So it's constantly expressing spike protein. There is very good chance, especially if you're healthy, your body knows how to handle that. It's going to send its it's going to send its killer cells, and it might even make the antibodies, and it's gonna it it's gonna blow your muscle. You know, it, it might make you sore as shit for a couple weeks, or maybe a couple days, but you're not going to get cancer. You're it's it, you're it's going to be you can't really like point to a spot and say like the vaccine gave me this. Unfortunately. It's going to be more systemic problems. It's going to be like if any residual spike protein is being expressed. Something, another conspiracy that I have that I'm curious about is why there aren't more antigen tests. And I would love to see how much longer.
Sorry, we we froze again there for a second as you were talking antigen tests. Uh, from my prior experience with StreamYard, even when it freezes, it seems to record. So I'm going to assume that we got that. And as we are uh, yeah. coming up on an hour 10, uh, Stephen, before I let you go, is there anything else particular that you wanted to uh, cover or let everyone know about? Uh, yeah, man, uh, just watch out for the boosters and do your own risk assessment. I was talking with um, this really hot biotechnology CEO and she was just foaming at the mouth for vaccinating her kids. She wouldn't hear any of any of what I had to say. And I was very reasonable too. And the reason I'm sharing this is just that, you know, the, the, the people that are supposed to hold guard or you're supposed to look to for some advice aren't there. So you're going to need to make up your own decisions. And I think this is just generally with society, the way things are going. So look at how many people are dying. Look at the bears. Uh, read and do your own information. Don't just listen to me or Rob. Listen to other people. Um, but uh, just remember, you know, I guess your own choice and your freedom. Because it's it's hard nowadays, man. All right. Steven, hang out with me for a minute before I let you go. Uh, Lisa Chirobranking is uh, Steven's company. Hit him up. You can send him your cum. He can do all sorts of analysis oh, yeah. for you. He can store things. He can freeze things. So uh, hit him up, support him for uh, supporting freedom and sharing the story on this. I, I th This audio will remain up. It will be available in podcast form. I'm not going to be leaving the video up on YouTube. Uh, for the couple people hanging out with us, I am running my end of year uh, thingy thing. Total recap, going to be doing a lot of jokes on uh, Corona. Uh, hit me up for tickets. The cities that I have scheduled thus far is, firstly, I'm going to be in Mexico. Peddling Fiction's got a whole thing going to, uh, going on. Steven, you're close to Mexico. You should come down for that. That thing's going to be a party. It's apparently yeah, some area with a bunch of women that don't wear pants, and you can just go into a, in, go into a place and just pick up pharmaceuticals. So I'm going to be partying there. Uh, New Hampshire, might even be filling it in New Hampshire. Already sold out one of the shows. Uh, Chicago, um, Philly, New York city. I got a bunch of dates. I'm running this thing. I've never worked so hard on anything. So, uh, I do think you guys are going to laugh and that it's also going to be a pretty good presentation of this and as humorous of a way as I can put it together. Uh, so I will have all those dates. Are you going to film it? You should have someone film it. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm trying to get, uh, I, I, I will definitely film the New Hampshire shows. Uh, hopefully in a more professional fashion than last year. Um, I'm working hard on writing and putting it together. Once I kind of am done with that, I'll figure out the filming, but I am hoping to film it. Uh, all right, guys, I'm going to call the broadcast here. I'm going to leave it up for a little bit. So if you came late, you can check out the earlier part. Uh, and other than that, thank you so much for hanging out with us until next time later.